Welcome to Waxing the Porpoise, the podcast that dives deep into the unexplored depths of cinema and occasionally the unexplained. This week, G-Baby and the usual suspect Steve tackle Thomas Harris' opening salvo in his Hannibal Lecter series of books in the screen adaptation of the first book, Red Dragon, directed by the ineffable Michael Mann in the form of Manhunter from 1986, starring William Peterson, Dennis Farina, Tom Noonan, and last but not least, Brian Cox as the first, and some would argue best, to portray Hannibal Lecter on screen. Join us as we discuss the many incarnations of the Hannibal Lecter story and mythology across print, TV, and film, and the various characters and varied actors who played them. We'll also take a look back at now antiquated grocery products, outdated forensic techniques, and learn about region-locked DVDs and Blu-rays for Steve's edification. The Porpoises, Midnight Companions, and Keen Observers go full Will Graham. Moonlight Graham! to get the scent back and go inside the mind of a killer before the next full moon in order to stave off another round of grisly slayings. And now after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. Let's wax this Michael Manhunted porpoise. Don't do that. You see, we, we're working on his brow chakra. We're just in back of the crown chakra. All right, welcome to Waxing the Porpoise, the podcast where we dive deep into the dark and uncharted. Un- fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You know how many times I do that? Sometimes when I'm editing, like I'll just be like, fuck, fuck, redo. All right, let me try that again. (sighs) Welcome to Waxing the Porpoise, the podcast where we dive deep into the dark and uncharted waters of film, high strangeness, and everything in between, sometimes. Uh, This evening, you have been cordially invited to join us on this episode 90, where we will be discussing a Michael Mann film, Manhunter, from 1986. Uh, before we get into it, uh, allow us to introduce ourselves. I am your host and resident cloaca admirer, Jim G. Baby. Then how did you catch me? You had disadvantages. What disadvantages? You're insane. Nice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and of course, we have the usual suspect, Steve. Just you and me now, sport. How's it going, man? Good. Uh, Just you and me now, sport. I looked up Milf Hunter. That's a very different movie. (laughs) Yeah, I'd think so. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Geechin and Shrimp Shack Shooters. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we're here to talk about Manhunter from 86. Um, this is a Michael Mann of heat fame film. This is one of his first few films. Um, yeah, the only, are you familiar the, with the only Go movie? Ahead, I, well, I just know by reputation, I looked up his, his resume and other than this one, you know, I think the only other two movies of his I've seen are collateral and heat. So I saw, uh, last of the Mohicans is probably one of his, Biggest, at least 
most recognizable to me. So never seen that, but yeah. I, I, we, I was just talking about this with somebody else. I saw it weirdly at like a young age. Like I think it can't, it had come out on VHS and uh, I caught it. It came out in 92. So yeah, I was like in third or fourth grade and my mom had rented it. And it was like adults, you know, watching a movie and I walked into it and I happened to walk in right when you haven't seen it. I had not. I happened to walk in on like a really like pivotal, like pretty like badass, but really spoilery moment that I won't uh, divulge because I think it is a good one um, and worth watching without having it spoiled. But once you get to that scene it's like yeah it's i mean it's not overly gory or anything it's just not like a scene a third grader should watch yeah or be exposed to but um i mean i guess it's not that bad but yeah it's got some brutal stuff going on in it i think it's kind of like along the lines of as far as i remember kind of like a dances with wolves scenario yeah i know i've like seen a- it but I had to have been 10 maybe or younger. I have no recollection of it at all. So yeah, that's one I want to, I want to flash back to here in the near future. Um, but yeah, dude, in the, the maniverse, the Michael maniverse, he's got some fucking straight bangers. Like his first, and especially opening up his first film, uh, thief from 81. That is, um, James Kahn. Okay, yeah. Of of James Conn fame, the bad yeah. guy in yeah. Eraser. <laughs> yeah. And Elf. Misery. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, Thief's a really good movie. It's kind of, it's along the lines of Manhunter. It's like a neo kind of noir, but he's like a safe cracker. Um, so he's, it's more kind of looking at the gray area. He's not like overly a bad guy, even though he's like a robber or a cat burglar kind of thing, but he's also kind of a piece of shit at times. So you kind of love, hate him. You're kind of rooting for him, but you're also like, well, you're a piece of shit too. Kind of. Um, I could get and into then, that. <clears throat> so then, yeah, he's got thief Manhunter, last of the Mohicans with Daniel day Lewis. I'm pretty sure that's got to won some awards. Then heat in 95, then the insider, which is, I haven't seen, but it's, it's, like widely recognized as a as an awesome great film about that whistle whistleblower for like big tobacco it's where russell crowe like gained a bunch of weight and like shaved his face he looks pretty unrecognizable he's got like gray hair he plays whatever that dude's name was the the whistleblower against like oh interesting you know i don't know if philip morris or big tobacco or whatever yeah then he did ali which i've never seen Honestly, um, with Will Smith, Will Smith, uh, and then he did Collateral, uh, which I really like a lot. Collateral, uh, the eight, the Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio. I saw it once. Can't really remember much. Then he did a. Uh, so I guess he worked on uh, TV before he got into film and kind of concurrently, but he was like. Uh, he worked on Miami Vice, the show with Don Johnson when that was popular. And then back and then in 2006, he did the film adaptation with Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx in 06. I remember that bombed when it came out and it kind of got panned. And I think 
I don't know if it has a cult classic tag, but since then, I think like a lot of people like, like it. I don't know if it's in vogue to say you like it now, but I'd be willing to give it a shot. I've just never seen it, but, um, uh, I could, I could definitely see a little Miami vice vibe to this one. To manhunter. Yeah. Just yeah. Very, told, like very the colors. 80s. Yeah, yeah very the, the kind of synthy score that goes along, um, which we'll get into because I really like that of this film. But then he did so Public Enemies with Jesse Plemons and uh, fuck Johnny Depp. Um, can't remember who else is in it. Um, which that one I that one's escaped me too. I've wanted to see that. Then he had a couple clunkers. Um, and then it's a recent of, of late, he just did that Ferrari movie, uh, that came out with Adam driver. So, I mean, he's got a pretty fucking solid, that's a solid resume. Um, but yeah, I I would say my top three is probably heat collateral in this, in that order. All right. So Um, I'm not really, not really missing out on any must see man bangers. No. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the outliers are like, are one, like Miami Vice. That's a, I seem, that seems like it could be a coin flip. And Public Enemies does look really good. I can't remember who is that about. Um, oh, yeah, it's about John Dillinger, played by Johnny Depp, being pursued by FBI agent Melvin Purvis, played by Christian Bale. It's supposed to be real good. Um, sounds, sounds interesting. Yeah, it's like a period piece, like a historically, like a historical biography of of that dude Purvis taking down uh, Dillinger. You get like shot up by like a hail of bullets because his old lady ratted him out in front of like a fucking theater or something. I don't know. I mean, that sounds right. I have no reason to dispute that, but I don't. I'm not super familiar with uh with his story. Where I come from, you don't blow no harp. You don't get no pussy. (laughs) That's from that Crossroads movie. Um, Okay, so let's get into this thing. Um, I'm assuming Manhunter was a blind spot for you. Yes. Coming into this. Or were you Uh, aware of its connection to the Hannibal Lecter and all that, Thomas Harris? Yeah, I was somewhat aware. I, I had heard it referred to as sort of the original silence of the lambs so i thought i thought it was going to be um that story or that book or whatever i didn't realize it was it was actually red dragon which if i'm not mistaken it goes red dragon silence of the lambs hannibal in the trilogy Mm -hmm. right yep but the modern one was released sort of out of order so it makes sense that they would have released this one as the first yeah right so yeah, I've seen Silence of the Lambs a bunch of times. I've only ever seen Red Dragon and Hannibal maybe one time a million years ago. So I didn't really have any recollection of the story. So that, so that was well, that nice. Well. Yeah, especially because Red Dragon, in my opinion, fucking licks. I did not like that film. I mean, I do like Ed Norton a lot. I don't remember disliking it, but it doesn't have the same rewatchability that, I mean, you could put on Silence of the Lambs anytime, anywhere in the movie, yeah. and it fucking rips hard. Yeah. That's one of the few Criterion collections I have is uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs, which is just like fancy. It's like uh, 
upgraded packaging and like a bunch of different features that are added. They do this like special treatment, uh, like they, the criterion, uh, company or whatever they like they hand they kind of cherry pick movies to like get licensing for and like curate the their collection like really uh meticulously um and they're they're def they're usually more pricey but that's that's definitely one of them because yeah it, it does have super high rewatchability uh i like too that like a lot of man's films i feel like he he like you are you're always wanting in crime and like detective kind of like noir films it, it's the it's better when you can actually see them doing the thing instead of describing it and just kind of jumping around scene to scene whereas uh like in this one i feel like exemplifies that perfectly like cuz you see you you get into the mindset of the profiler of Will Graham like when he's like looking at the scenes going through his notes and like you're piecing things together along with him and his team, you know, and the people that he, that he's working with. So um, I think that's definitely a strength of this director. And we'll get into some detail about that um, later on that <clears throat> supports that. But uh, yeah, the whole Silence of the Lambs, you know, where the, I th it's weird because th that movie was so like, uh, like singular yet a part of this greater thing. And it, it, it achieved like such a high level of acclaim. I think in notoriety, it kind of throws off the feeling and it doesn't help too when Hannibal was like rushed out and was dog shit. And then they did a remake of this movie, which people think is a prequel. I guess it technically is, but it's actually the first, you know, like, um, right. Yeah, chronologically. In the, in the sense of time, yeah. So, the, yeah, this is the OG. And then it, it even muddies the waters further because in Hannibal, the show that they did on NBC with Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter, that goes back even further to where before, it's when him and Will Graham were like buddies and like he was working with him as a psychiatrist and people didn't know that he was, you know, Hannibal the Cannibal yet. Um so I will but, say I, I'm a little embarrassed to admit there was one part uh, in this movie where it's it's when he's having the like father son moment in the grocery store. And I was mm -hmm. so distracted by all the like cereal in the background that all the antiquated shit. Yeah, I feel like I missed the part where he was describing to his son how he actually caught him. Like I was just I just found myself kind of zoning out like, damn, they had golden grams. Even back in <laughs> eighty five, or these brands that you would think are new, you know, and yeah. then I felt like I I heard a line where he's like, and that's how I got him. I was like, ah, fuck, that was probably important, but I'm not rewinding. <laughs> not really. I mean, honestly, in in this film, they kind of they really gloss over it in the um, I believe in Hannibal. The show flushes it out even further. When he when he realizes, um, but that I think that's the one thing Red Dragon does. The only thing it does, right, in my opinion, comparative to the book, is the reveal when Ed Norton like looks like uh, what happens. He's like, "Oh, I gotta go get something." So well, uh, Ed Norton's kind of left to his own devices, waiting in his like fucking study area, 
and he happens to notice a book that's open, like, or one of the pages is dog-eared and he goes up to it. And it's like this crazy, like really obscene, um, like medieval torture or like the, the death of someone that was uh, committed at the hands of this fucking crazy person. But they like, they did a bunch of, they like stuck a bunch of shit in the chest and like really obscene. And that's, that's like exactly how the, the previous murderer was committed. So he looks at that and he's like, Oh fuck. He's like, it had to have been because he did it like down to like the utensil and like the location it flushes it out further in the um the tv series later on but yeah in in this in manhunter he glosses it over he says something like i noticed he had like an old war like roman war book yeah out, and, I like open it, and he's like yeah and it's some, something yeah like that. I and he's like this, and that's how i knew but it's is, real it's a really throwaway line this is how little i remember of uh, Red Dragon. I thought Ed Norton was the bad guy. <laughs> That's how long it's no. been since I've seen it. No, it was Rafe. Don't call me Ralph. Fines. Oh, uh, yeah, same shit. Like I am the dragon. That's all I remember from like all the fucking trailers and shit. <laughs> when he leans up to Philip Seymour Hoffman, he says, "You owe me all." <laughs> was um was PSH the one who got set on fire? Was he the journalist? Yeah. Okay, I remember yeah. that. So he's Freddie Lowndes, who is way more of a character in this one, I feel like. Yeah. Um, than that. But did you do you remember who I said someone was in Tombstone that you're not gonna fucking or I think I even said it. I said the guy who played Ike Clanton, the log dog just don't go around uh-huh. here is in this movie and you'll never guess there were a lot of recognizable like character actors if that's the right term for it people Mm -hmm. like you know like woogie is in this one whatever his Mm -hmm. real name is um chris elliott cabin boy and uh whoever that that one black detective is with the big mustache i was like i know that guy from tons of stuff but i can't think of one thing um and there was like two or three other actors where i was like I know that guy, but I couldn't tell you what from. So, can you yeah. guess? Um, shit. No, I I can't. It was that guy who played Freddie Lowndes, no. the fucking sleazy. Yeah, swear to God, dude, Stephen Lang. He ain't bluffing. Wow. He ain't bluffing. Yeah, I'm <laughs> gonna turn your head into a canoe. That guy. You're not as dumb as you look, Ike. Isn't that wild? Yeah, I would have never guessed. I guess he's a big, huge, like, theater dude and, like, like, actor, like, honed his craft. He'd been in a ton of shit. Like, it's pretty weird that he's that chameleon-like because he's been in stuff where he's, like, this really, like, hard, hardened, like, gruff kind of character, you know? And always has facial hair. He played this one kind of kind of funky like loosey-goosey not quite like effeminate but there's he's got a little bit of extra sugar in his tank maybe or he's just a fucking giant sleazeball cooter that's kind of the vibe i got just scumbag yeah (laughs) tabloid journalist basically so 
It doesn't help too, especially in each iteration, they've changed genders of roles. They've kind of merged roles like in Red Dragon and then later on in Hannibal, like Freddie Lowndes is played by a woman huh. and Sid- and Sidney Bloom is played by a woman. Whereas in this one, it's played by a man, that doctor who's like, he's like, you're getting way out there again. Will, you know, it's like the, he's, he's like the psychotherapist that helped him. They allude to get out of his, his dark oh. place or whatever. Yeah. Which that scene when he's with his son in the grocery store and they're, getting shit and he's like breaking he's like what happened why did why were you in the hospital like the special hospital or whatever i was like dude he fucking really shoots him pretty straight and like blunt like this is what happened you know like but i it was kind of sobering because he didn't like dance around it but he also he wasn't overly complex i feel like he kind of distilled it like in an honest way to this maybe 10 year old kid 11 year old kid yeah i was looking at the tricks and lucky charms because i thought that was a 90s <laughs> i i was so surprised to see that it was very distracting yeah it is kind of in these older films when you like notice things that are just like they seem like out of place now or like oh shit i remember those like or when coffee Dude. came in those like vacuum sealed fucking or bags uh, like he holds up do you remember this one threw me for a loop too? The cereal mini box variety pack. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where they were bit... like this long and there were four oh, of yeah. them like a fucking fun dip. Yeah. My, my grandma used to get those <laughs> and I cannot remember the last time I, I saw one and it was in the background of, of that shot. And I was like, Oh fuck. I missed that. Yep. Yep, I'd always say fuck the Smacks one. No one's ever going to eat that. You remember Smacks? Oh, the yeah. fucking frog. Oh, yeah. I hated Smacks. I mean, it's all just Are like smacks sugar. Guy? Sure. Oh, yeah. Fat kid. Hell yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, they're all the same thing. It's just like sugar and carbs and delicious, delicious calories. Yeah. But there's a difference between like cookie crisp and fucking frosted flakes. Sure. Yeah. Dude, do you remember when Pop Tarts came out with a little mini Pop Tart cereal and on the inside was like they had like raspberry and strawberry and it was like Pop Tart filling inside each individual small morsel? No, but that sounds like the most delicious thing ever. It was so fucking bomb. Yeah, that's what I miss for my for my youth i used to fuck up some uh honey bunches of oats was always a staple yeah. oh yeah and you could you could almost convince yourself that it's somewhat healthy even though it's most certainly <laughs> <laughs> it has oats and almond slivers in it yeah it has to be good <laughs> dude fuck around with some as waffle. you're just like whomping down fucking huge ass butts dude like a, bake, with a baking spoon yep <laughs> Ooh. Waffle crisp were fucking fire. Dude, I feel like I could do a whole episode on throwing back different cereal varieties. <sighs> Here's an all-time fat move. Vanilla ice cream, milk, and cereal in a blender. Cereal milkshakes. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. That was, yeah. that's, a, that's a low point of fatdom in my life. 
I did lucky. What did it was the lucky charms. It was just too rich. It was too much sugar. And I was like, what am I? I can't do this ever again. I can't make cereal milkshakes again. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the tough thing about that for me would be you're losing some of the delicious texture of cereal, like the crunchiness, you know, when you're just blending it all up. Now it's just like fucking sugar fist up your ass. You know, you're not. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, uh, yeah, I like the movie. Um, <laughs> we, we derailed. We have derailed on cereal. Um, yeah, back to Manhunter. So yep. I, I guess the it. mythology of, of it all is trying to straighten that out, like where we are in the. Hannibal Lecter, I guess, because he's the focal point. Even though, weirdly, if you put all of his time on screen compared to everything else, it's like got to be a tenth of the time spread across every form. Yeah, it it, it reminded me of um, like Beetlejuice, where it's like he's not barely in the fucking thing at all. Right, but that's the one. It's like drilled into your brain, like that's what this thing is. That's what this property is. You know, you think of the fucking the white and black suit and the fucking moldy face. <clears throat> I guess it's because, like, you know, you have those people that are kind of larger than life. He's built up as like almost like a mythological uh, creature, figure. You know, it kind of overshadows everything else. But I like well, how they used him in this. Well, and he. Uh he was such a bigger part of silence of the lambs. I just would have expected they would have, you know, utilized that character more, but I don't know. That's what I get for thinking. What was your opinion of, uh, Cox, Brian Cox versus Anthony Hopkins? Um, I liked it. I mean, he's obviously a really good actor and I'd, I'd always heard how good of a job he did in this movie. So I wasn't surprised or, underwhelmed either way uh mm -hmm. i one thing i i did think was like different is uh in in sons of the lambs they're they're definitely using each other you know clarice and hannibal lecter but there's almost like a weird mutual respect whereas in this one it's like dude you sent this guy my fucking home address like i thought we were i thought we were kind of cool you know I thought we were going to let bygones be bygones, but then you sent this guy my fucking address. Yeah. That was a little uh, different, but. Yeah. Well, I think in the, obviously we've talked about this multiple times, films that are adapted from books, you lose, you're going to lose something. So maybe that's more fleshed out. I feel like in Hannibal, the TV series, they did a, they did a really good job at, um, building up that friend they were colleagues then they become friends in a weird way and then even when they're adversaries he does treat him a little bit differently than cox does he kind of just goes straight for the jugular here um well and you could make the argument like uh clarice isn't the one who put him in jail so he doesn't have the need to seek revenge against her but he does against this guy because he's the one who put him. yeah because he you did know, he stripped his freedom from him where and that's a key difference between him and starling <laughs> you're not gonna threaten to take away my books <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i like that one 
<laughs> I like the, like the creepy way he kind of looks at him, like with his mouth open and like just like his facial features, the way he's like eyeball to eyeball with him, like just a, he exudes like this weird like creepiness to him when he's talking and even like you can pick up on it when uh when will's like he's like okay i know i'm i've gone too far i'm out of here he's like guard he starts banging because he knows what he's about to say to him when he's like you know how you caught me will like he he know he knew he was gonna he's he's trying to fucking get in my head he's trying to fucking (laughs) break me right now he's like get me the fuck out of here um which I, I really like that that kind of dance of the mind between those two. And I guess specifically Will and his uh, ability to get inside killer's heads, you know, and how that fucks with him the whole movie. But um, so I guess getting into this, uh, Will Graham is he's this fucking hot shot. Well, maybe not hot shots the right word, but he's just like a, a well-established um like he's the guy that brought down Hannibal Lecter, you know, he's, he's a legendary FBI profiler who's retired and then his old buddy. So Jack Crawford, who's played by Scott Glenn in silence of the lambs and Larry Lawrence, don't call me Larry Fishburne in uh, the Hannibal series is played by Dennis Farina, mm-hmm. which I, I like Farina. I think he's a cool guy. Rest in yeah. peace. I didn't realize he's, it's already been fucking like 11 years since he passed away. Damn, really? Yeah. It was like a pulmonary embolism I read Oof. in 2013. Wow. Where does the time go? It's wild. I, I guess one interesting piece of trivia right off wow. the bat, uh, specific to Farina, is I, I didn't realize this. So he's one of these guys that got into acting like way later in life. I guess his first film wasn't until he was 38. And previous to that, he served, I don't know what branch, but he served three years in the military. And then upon um, getting discharged, he was a Chicago PD police officer for 18 years. And one of his buddies was like, you know, he was getting a little bit older and he had an idea for a show, like a police procedural, like a cop show. And he tapped Farina to like read for it. And he, he ended up. That's he just kind of got swept up in the business and had a couple roles in like, like pre Law and Order type shit in like the eight early eighties, and then he just became an actor. I I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, that's I funny because that. he says Chicago the way somebody from there does with like an R, like Chicago. I don't know yeah. what that is, but yeah, I remember yeah. thinking like I don't know if he's doing that on purpose or if that's like a Midwest thing, but. Well, that's one mystery solved. Yeah, there's one one thing since I've been out here in the Midwest, there's like Midwest, but then there's like sub dialects. There's like sub genres yeah. of that. Like you get, I don't think it reaches as far to like a Philly accent that's getting out there. But so like Pittsburgh has a distinct like dialect. Yeah. Um, Chicago, of course. Um, Wisconsin. Like upper. Minnesota, Minnesota, very very distinct. The upper, they call it the UP, the upper peninsula of Michigan. They kind of have their own thing. That's like half between like a Wisconsin, Minnesota and Canadian. So yeah, I haven't really picked up on anything in, in uh, Indiana specific other than they call shit pop out here, 
which fucking drives me nuts. It's like, are you nine? Fucking soda. <laughs> I'm just glad I don't live in like one of those fucking backwater South Hamlets where they call every soda a fucking Coke. It's like, that's yeah, cute. Get your head out of your ass. <laughs> Do you know off the top of your head? The... Your fucking dad. <laughs> Sorry. Do you know the the IMDb or Rotten Tomato score on this one off the top of your head? I don't. I glanced at the IMDb, but I don't remember. Isn't it? I feel like it's pretty low for this. Well, or does it fall into that seven point one trap? Seven point two, where where all, <laughs> where all movies go to die. But the uh, the Rotten Tomato score I thought was surprising. Do you know it? You want to guess? I I know this is well received or it, it's become more uh accepted, widely accepted and it's like a cult classic. So, I'm going to go I'll go like 88 critic and I'll go like go like 78. You're you're very close. Audience. You're very close. The audience is 77. But the critics Whoa. is 94. So. Yeah, I can see how this is a, a more of a critical, darling, because Michael Mann's, what he brings with him, and then just kind of how meticulous this film is kind of laid out. Yeah, I also read that the the budget for this one was like $15 million, which... It's Damn. very surprising, and I, I even had to look up the inflation calculator to see that. That's the equivalent of $42 million today. Hmm. And so uh, the budget was $15 million and the box office was like 8 at most. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, that's why it bombed when it came out. Which is surprising that they, like nowadays, they you wouldn't really get a second chance like back then. And back then too, things weren't so like focused on setting up a franchise or a, a continuation unless it was like, you know, a fucking star Wars or right. Indiana yeah. Jones, like something that's like fucking cash cow. Let's milk it. So it's interesting that this did get, um, like another crack, like it, somebody took another shot at it, but it also probably makes sense why they tried to, why they recast every role too, maybe, but yeah, that's interesting. So basically, you know, Will Graham's this fucking hotshot profiler. He's out of the game, but there's this new killer and Dennis Farina, Jeff Crawford, he's having trouble and he's on a, there's it, it's a particularly uh, dynamic case because they've ascertained that this guy kills on a lunar cycle. So every full moon, I think there's been two sets of killings so far at this point, two families. So like four and five people at one time. So his body counts like 10 or 12 at this point. So the FBI is on to him. And so Crawford's on a time crunch. So the best thing he can think of is like, Oh, my freshly traumatized. Now he's in a good place with his family, retired, um, legendary profiler. I'll just uh, pull on his heartstrings a little bit with <laughs> families at risk of being butchered to 
draw him back into the fold, which is, I mean, even the wife says it like, Jesus, Jack, you're supposed to be his friend, you know, like, as you've said in the past, that's kind of not what friends do. Um, but I mean, he's also, you can understand if you were in that position and you, you knew you had this closer, this ringer type character, um, you know, why not at least give it a shot? But so it, the ploy works. And, and so Will's back on board. Um, did you recognize Will Graham's wife, Molly? Uh, I did not. Played by Kim Greist from Homeward Bound, the mom in Homeward Bound. Oh, shit. <laughs> no, I didn't, didn't notice that at all. How fun. She's been in a few other things, but that's like, these are, are her main claims to fame are this and Homeward Bound and Homeward Bound Deuce besides being like, I don't know. I, she, she reminds me of like a poor man's like Suzanne Summers. She's kind of got that vibe. Yeah. The mom from Step by Step. She was actually really annoying in my opinion in this movie. Like every time she talked, I just, I don't know. It's like nails on a chalkboard. I will say really? that uh I feel like uh, she was pretty understanding and like she let Will do his thing kinda like she understood. Yeah, she was. I, I, maybe was it's just stake. like maybe it was just her acting that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, not necessarily her character or anything. I will say right. old uh Billy Peterson, who I didn't recognize from anything, and then when I looked him up I was like, Oh, it's the guy from CSI who I always just assumed was like a hack you know, mm-hmm. shitty actor. I thought he, he was, was awesome. Some, dude, he's fucking rad. I thought the same thing until I watched this film. I actually liked him in Fear a lot, too. He's never, in Fear from 96 with... Yeah, it's with Marky Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, he's pretty good in that, but he's badass in this. And then uh, the follow-up... Uh, he followed this up in like 87 or 88 with to live and die in LA uh, directed by William Freakin, who did the French connection and the exorcist. It's like a, he plays kind of a similar character, more of a hotshot, a little bit more cocky um, uh, LA cop. Who's on to like some, some uh, counterfeiters and drug runners, one of which kills his best friend. And he's just like on the war path. It's fucking super rad. It's got one of the it's it's got one of the best car chase scenes. Like it's always in like the top like best car chase scene ever in cinema history. Um, Willem Dafoe's in it. There's a lot of, a lot of people in it. Uh, it's real good. Yeah, I kept. Yeah, I he kept, fucks. I kept thinking because we just had the same conversation about Clive Owen a few weeks ago. I was like, why isn't this guy in yeah. more shit? Like maybe. Maybe it's just because I don't know what good acting is, but I was like, this guy fucking rules. I don't, I don't understand. Maybe it's just that CBS money is too good. I don't know, but I thought he, I thought he was the best part of this even more than old Brian Cox. So. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, William Peterson fucking carries this film on his back. Um, I did see there was one of those. Go ahead. One fun little piece of trivia. I did see there was a CSI episode from 2000 or some shit where he was pursuing a, a killer who was played by Tom Noonan, the same guy who played this creepy fucking killer in this movie. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I thought the soundtrack sucked. What? Yeah, I didn't like it. You're on crack, dude. No. It's so sick. No. Sure wasn't. <laughs> Boo, this man. <clears throat> I will say, so the, the one piece of music that I like the most is his the first house that he goes to in Atlanta. Like he's fresh off the plane uh-huh. and he starts examining the first house that has all the blood spatter still. Like it's still, it ha- it's a fresher crime scene than the one he goes to later in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, the, the music, cause it's at night, it's kind of foggy. It's got this droning kind of like synth thing, well, let, let me, but it also me, felt very Halloweeny. Let me clarify the score I thought was good, but like the, the actual music, like the songs that oh, they put like, in. Like the music choices from artists that they plucked? Yeah, that sucked. Okay. I'm indifferent. I, I do kind of, I like the vibe that, that, uh, in a Bagada Vida song. Are you summoning a demon right now? What are you saying? The song by Iron Butterfly at the end, you know, the bump, 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 Yeah, that song bah, sucks shit. <laughs> I felt like it fit the vibe towards the end, like when he's being all creepy and shit and like just like the that setting, but I honestly didn't I can't even pick out any other like music that they chose to put in this. So I guess I was pretty indifferent. But I, I liked the the underlying score that they used when he's investigating. Um or like, you know, like the the no vocal shit. Yeah. that underlies the film. I thought that was fucking rad, especially like that first one. It's almost got like a Halloween kind of like a synth, like almost, it, it feels kind of like a horror film in spots. Like when he's doing his investigation and they do the shots of like, you know, the blood spatter and it's Dude, at night. Even, and, even, I think it's like the first scene where the guy is like walking into the bedroom with the flashlight and the lady. Oh wakes yes. Up. That's yeah. That is, that's that creepy. Is disturbing. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, yeah, it, the way it opens on that, it almost feels like, what the fuck am I in? Like a Blair witch, like a found footage movie almost. Cause it's through that POV. Yeah. That is, dude, that'd be so creepy to wake up with that in your face. Like, Oh fuck. Yeah. There's another creepy, like similar to that. There's a David Lynch movie called uh, Lost Highway with Bill Pullman and Patricia Arquette. Um, It's very weird. Uh, I don't know if you'd like it, but there's this couple, Bill Pullman and um, his wife. I can't remember who plays his wife, but they start getting these fucking VHS tapes mailed to like their front door. And it's like unmarked and it's just addressed to them. So they take it, they put it in and it's someone inside their house with a fucking big ass camcorder going and it's, it's multiple. So first it's just like the outside of the house and they go up to the front of the door and it cuts out. Then like two weeks later they get another tape and then it's like them inside the living room, scoping out, looking, looking up towards the stairs where the, the bedroom is. Then it cuts out. Then another two weeks, they get another film and then it's like the dude walking upstairs, filming them while they're sleeping in their bed and gets up close to him. You can hear him breathing. And then it cuts. Dude, fucking super creepy. That's cool, though. Yeah, that that is a fucking oddball 
movie. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, the other besides the actual score, I'm I'm pretty indifferent to. But also, real quick, did you recognize the? So right when he gets off the plane, Will does, and he's escorted by that cop. He's like, "You need me to come in and show you around or anything?" Did that guy? Did do you recognize that guy at all? No. From a little film called Airheads. Who from the Airheads? Sw- the SWAT, like the overly like alpha SWAT SWAT leader. He's like, I had one skid mark in sixteen years of marriage. <laughs> it threw me out. <laughs> he's the main guy that's like talking to Michael Richards the whole time. He's like. He's like, were you in, were you in the armed forces, son? He's like, I was in the merchant marine. He's like, Marines copy that. All right, you're gonna be my guy on the inside. Oh, it's That's been so long is. since I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was fine. I just picked him out. Oh, Marshall Bell. Um, huh. He was also in uh, the Lone Rangers. <laughs> you're not exactly alone, Joe Montahena. Um, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Uh, yeah, I love the score. Um, I also liked that. Uh, obviously this is like a noir, like a a neo noir kind of gumshoe thing, but it's not. I liked that it. Will Graham kind of exists on this like island as like an operator, I guess. Like his, he's not a private eye. He's not a detective. He's not, he's got like this special access as, you know, this former, you know, famed FBI profiler. So he's kind of operating like, uh, not like a, rogue. Like is a the mercenary. Word, yeah. It, I just, I kind of like the space because when he goes in to investigate, it's, it seems like it'd be unorthodox. It's already been gone through like by the detectives and the forensics and people that have combed it over. He's getting to access these places at night or in the middle of the day when he goes to the other the place in Birmingham after it's already been surveyed and it should because that that gives you a chance also to see um the difference with him is getting in trying to get into the mind of the killer versus you know like a normal detective they're they're looking for clues you know evidence all these things that are are more uh procedural whereas will's kind of he's he's kind of operating like a fucking like a gypsy like you know like soothsayer yeah uh, instead of like a a proper detective but i i guess maybe that's more part and parcel of a profiler too versus a detective but um yeah one one thing i found funny was uh i mean because this is 86 and as far as forensics go, they're still, you know, sort of in the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. So some of the stuff they're talking about are teeth mark identification, hair comparison, and tool mark analysis, all of which have since been like pretty much ruled bullshit. You know, they're they're not going to rely on any of that stuff in the in the modern era because '86 was like right on the cusp of dna becoming mm-hmm. sort of universal and i just saw a uh if anybody's seen the show forensic files specifically when it relates to tool mark analysis which we've talked about before in the in the murdoch episode Murdoch, how it's just total 
hokum. There was Hogwash. a <laughs> there was a, an episode of Forensic Files <laughs> I was watching a couple weeks ago, and it was about this uh, pipe bomber that you know the investigation leads them to this fucking just weird dude who they think is the guy, and they go into his house. They don't really find anything except tools, like normal tools, and they're like, "We can match these tools to an unexploded pipe bomb that we found," and they convicted him and. And I was watching it like, ah, if that's all they have, that is super thin. So when the yeah. episode was over, I looked it up. I, I Googled the guy's name and it's like, um, convicted pipe bomber gets new trial because the forensics was bullshit. And wow. <laughs> yeah. So I think his new trial is coming up soon, but damn, yeah, scary, scary to think about how all of those things were totally normal. And like the primary yeah. tools of investigators back then and how many fucking people are in jail. Cause they're like, uh, this weirdo, his teeth kind of match this bite mark on a, on a person's leg. Or when the lady's like, we evaluated his hair and it's your guy. Like, no, that's not, yeah. that, that's not how that works. But yeah. Scary. Even with that, even with that said, I I did like like the level of detail they go into specifically when they're trying to um, decipher that note on the toilet uh -huh. paper, and they're using like all the inks and dyes and the different um, like that that videographer, fucking yeah. whoever like the, the jack of all trades dude. Like the, He's in, like a, the infrared switch yeah. and all that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. That was super cool. Or even, even um, the like fingerprints on the eyeballs, you know, mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. When he said like, and check her corneas too. I'm like, how in the fuck does that work? Like on an, on an eyeball, like how do, how do you, it just, it just seems so outlandish that you could pull that off a fucking eyeball. Um, so one thing they kind of, again, in, in other uh, forms of media, specifically Hannibal, they they really dive into what makes Will Graham this like kind of singular profiler. His ability, they throw it around. He's like a pure empath. His he's able to empathize with the killer, put himself like so far immersed that he, the danger is that he can lose himself in that. And that's also like we alluded to earlier, the scene that scares him. When, because Hannibal's, you know, by trade he's he's uh, well he he's he's got many trades, but uh, one of them is you know a, like a gifted psychotherapist or psychiatrist, whatever. Um, he's he's in Will's head, and he's like, you know how you found me is like because you can see so much of yourself. We're we're just alike, you know, like, and that's what scares Will is like, is he just like one step away? from becoming that thing. Um, and that's also his power too. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, a freaky double-edged sword kind of power. Um, I think they do a lot better job in Hannibal, like fleshing that out uh, in his character and showing like how dangerous that is to his psyche in this, you know, he's, they they talk about you know how he he had to get so invested in the Lecter case to catch him. Obviously, he was hospitalized because he 
was almost killed, but also because he went to such a dark place mentally that he had to go get help, uh, mental help, um, to get himself out of that mindset and ultimately retire. And then now he has to dive back into it. Um, I thought it was pretty nuanced, pretty interesting to think about like being in that situation. Yeah. So to, to skip to the end real quick, when he showed up at the, the would be intended targets house, I kind of thought for a second, like, is he going to fucking kill him? Like, is he, you know, is he going to take on the mantle of the guy? Is he going to fully slip into that other thing? I don't know if that's right. if that's what they were kind of going for, but yeah, Maybe. I was like, I could I could see it because there's a scene earlier where I thought that's what they were getting at because Lecter specifically asked him he's like dream much, Will? Mm-hmm. He asked him he asked him about his dreams, and then when he's on the flight to Birmingham to look at the second location. And he has all of the crime scene yeah. photos out and shit. And he passes out yeah. and he's dreaming. He dreams he's on, he's back in Florida. He's on the boat, you know, with his wife and she, and she says something to him and it's very dreamy. Like he, he can't really hear what she's saying, but he's just staring at her. I don't know if you focused or remember that part specifically, but he's sitting there staring at her like menacingly, almost like, like I'm going to kill you, bitch. Like, right now like it looked like he had designs and then he snaps out of it you know and then the little girl starts freaking out on the plane because he has all these fucking murder photos spread out and that like shocks him out of it but i don't know something about that this time i was like are they trying to infer that like that's that kind of war is raging in his mind and and he's he's fighting that that quiet battle in the background you know like I mean, that's the way I took it. That's the way I took it. He's like, because he had to to live in that other person's mind for so long, it's hard to pull yourself out and not get, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of, it's weird. It's interesting, though, too. Like, I haven't, I can't remember another film other than, uh, like, the links someone goes to catch a killer other than, the seminal John Woo film face off where he oh, yeah. literally takes another <laughs> man's f- <laughs> in order to catch him. I must become him. <laughs> I remember that trailer really well. Um, like it's John Travolta and then it, the camera swings and he's like, become him. And it's fucking Nick Cage's face. <laughs> I want to take his face off. Off. Um, that's a fun connection too. the, his wife, John Travolta's wife and face off Joan Allen. Did you recognize her? She's the blind lady. Quoted uh, by no, Tooth Fairy. I did not. I did yep, not make that her. connection. Huh. She's also in the, the born trilogy. Jesus Christ. That's Who's Jason she? Bourne. She plays, uh, like assistant CIA director Pamela Lundy. I think she's in two and three. Okay. Well, and Brian Cox is in Brian Cox also. Yeah. Connection. It is fun. Um, where are we at? Oh yeah. Okay. So then, then we get our first intro of Stephen Lang as Freddie Lowndes. 
he spots Will. He's like, oh, hey, remember me? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Throws him on like the windshield of a car. And then they talk about briefly, I guess, this fucker at this tabloid, the tattler, when, when Will caught Hannibal Lecter and he got fucking knifed and almost died, this fucker lounged, snuck into the hospital and lifted up his fucking blanket and took pictures of him and all his wounds and shit. Like, so he put his name out there. And so what do you know? He's back in town. He's on him like a fly on shit. And he's promised his wife, you know, like, Hey, I'm just going out. I'm consulting on this case. Like there'll be no danger. I'll keep my, you know, the name out of the paper. And then what do you know? Like this guy's there. Then he ends up taking some shots at him, uh, coming out of, uh, lector cell his compound in Baltimore or whatever. Uh, and then he's super pissed, but then he ends up later on kind of using and really leading him to his death. He has almost like a wire moment when he takes his picture, like, got your ass. I thought for sure you would say that. Ah, no, but that is perfect. Gotcha. Old, Old Isaiah Whitlock. Uh, do I have that? Damn, that's one I should just keep on like speed dial. <clears throat> Get a pair of titties, make you want to stand up and beg for buttermilk. Ass like a ten-year-old boy. <laughs> um, old true lies. Uh, <clears throat> so after that, I think is when we get. I. I, we kind of brushed over it, but I last thing about Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter, I really liked their back and forth uh, between him and Will, like their whole, their brief, a brief encounter. Um, I, I I just really enjoyed their, their back and forth in, in the cell when they're talking um, and how you can see he's Will still a f- deeply affected by just being in the dude's presence. Like, he's like, all right, get me the fuck out of here. Um, oh yeah. And then immediately after that, when we see a little bit of the, uh, Lecter's cunning, when he takes his phone call and he like Jerry rigs it to fucking like, Oh, I don't have the use of my arms. Can you redial me a number and all this shit? Like, I don't know what, what goes into all that technology, but I would assume like the level of detail that Michael Mann puts in that, that there's probably some truth to how, however he jerry-rigged uh, the phone to do that. But I also like that big old fucking guard that comes in when he gives him the phone and he's all, what's he, he's like, get up he's against like, the bunk, face the wall, don't turn around or I'll mace you in the face. Yeah. Just like rattled <laughs> off. And it was funny too. Cause like that when he comes back and he takes the phone, like the way he steps back, from Lecter, dude, you could tell even though this big ass, he looked like he was like 6'5", weighed like 280, like built like a brick shit house. He's still like got a, got some trepidation uh, about this uh, Hannibal the Cannibal. Um, but yeah, he pretty masterful way of him procuring Will's home address. Yeah. Just flip your little finger on that Rolodex and <laughs> well, what's letter he saying? G. Like, why don't you just zip on down to Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you has a Rolodex right next to the phone. Yeah. 
So through some some conniving, he's able to get his Will's address, um, which comes into play later. But um, then we get to the scene. Then he flies to Birmingham, and he, I mean, he gets some details from Lecter too, like. This this is a shy boy, Will. He likes to watch. So he's like a voyeur. So Will notices, you know, they have big yards. So he's kind of scoping the periphery. And he notices that tree. I think he isn't it like a like a rapper too, I think, that calls his attention to that tree. Yeah, and then the rope, and then he climbs the rope and he sees the the symbol there. Yeah. Um I like how hyped he gets too. He's like, he's like, you bastard! You sat up here and watched him all day, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, he has like two or three moments where he's doing the yeah. like internal dialogue, and then at the end, he's like, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> like, yeah, okay, re- relax. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, so he finds like a tree marking. So it's like if you're not if you're trying to get ca- not trying to get caught, why why do you do that? It's like. Is it just, I don't know, can't help himself. That's part, that's the whole part of the, the makeup. The, he can't, he's a slave to do that too. So, so he leaves like an etching, which is like a Mahjong tile or something that means red dragon. Um, and then also clearly severed branch that gives you a nice vantage point into the, it's like, fuck. Um, so yeah, this guy's a voyeur. He's he enjoys like not just the act, but everything that goes into it because he's it's like a part of this fantasy, as Will talks about um, stalking. Uh, and then you can see later on too, like his line of work is particularly suited to where it it allows him a special opportunity to stake out his next victims and like be able to peer into their lives um so this is when uh yeah okay yeah this so this is when okay fuck it he's like i'm gonna go back to lounge at the tattler and we're just gonna write up some defamatory shit because we know this tooth fairy guy reads the tattler i can't remember why they know that but yeah because they they found the toilet paper letter and they're like should we let it go and then oh right 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 yeah so at the same time they're like okay maybe they're hedging their bets um they they put in this this article they make they make lounge write this shit uh saying that what he molested all of his victims he was impotent with members of the opposite sex and he may have had sexual relations with his mother yeah. uh, <laughs> which i think it kind of i can't remember if uh tom noonan is tipped off by lecter or by something or if he's just so enraged by what was written that he zeroes in on Lounge instead of going to the meeting in the personal ad thing that they set up. Um, but at any rate, they they get a note from this toilet paper. They de- they try to decode it. They figure out their corresponding through the tattler in the personal ads. So they submit one, seemingly from Lecter, um, with like a like a a lockbox or something to go pick up something like a gift for him or. Something like that, but um, that ends up going nowhere uh, because 
Tom Noonan's either tipped off or he just doesn't go. Um, but I did like that part where, uh, like some of the technical aspects of this that like, I'd like to nerd about nerd out about, like when they're walking the scene, like how they're going to do the, the intercept. Yeah. He's like, uh, like that FBI dude, generic FBI guy. One is like, I see you checked out a charter arms, 44 special bulldog. And I was like, Ooh, what's that? That sounds fun. Uh, and then he's like, he's like, yeah. And he's like, here, take these. He's like, Glazer safety slugs number 12 shot suspended in liquid Teflon and a copper casing on impact. It all opens up on the target. One shot stop. And I was like, damn. It's like that. They had that kind of shit back in 86. No, <laughs> no. Is that a bullshit made up for the movie? I mean, it might be a real round, but uh, handgun rounds are notoriously bad at stopping people. That's what I mean. How many? How many body cam videos have you seen where a cop shoots a guy like 15 times and he's still like coming at him or that's true. You know, there, there have been people who have been shot through the heart and continue fighting for long enough to kill somebody. You know, there's as far as like handgun rounds go, unless you hit, unless you hit like the central nervous system and then it's lights out immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, these are small holes, but yeah, it definitely had that air of like, oh man, this is a fucking, and you could just tell like, <laughs> just the way they were talking about it, like, this yeah. is clearly foreshadowing something that is going to happen later. And then even yeah. later, he had to put six in the guy before he finally went down. Yeah. He's like, you got any body armor? He's like, Kevlar second chance. Yeah, was there was that a joke? I didn't get that. I I don't know either. Because then he he says something like he's like, he's I like, hope you uh, get one. Kevlar, like, yeah, because he's like Kevlar second chance. Another chance on my head. Yeah, because he's like eight out of eleven have been sh- uh, shot in the head or something. It's like okay, what the fuck are you talking about? Because I, I will- rewound that part like five times. I was like, I don't understand what they're trying to say right now. Yeah, I also didn't watch this one with subtitles, which I've gone I've gotten so accustomed to. Me too, man. My hearing is so fucking bad. <laughs> so Dude, I, you should go to one of those dermatology or one of those those ear, nose, and throat where they go through with the fucking scope in the ear. What? Have you seen that? They go in with like a <laughs> with like a hook, but it's got like a little tiny fiber optic camera on the end of it, so they can go into your ear canal and pull out like all the fucking like compacted earwax and shit from going to like shows and listening to loud music and shit. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's wax. I think it is just damage done from too many loud shows. Oh, okay. I don't know. Though. My sister-in-law just did that. And she said it was like, it was like a HD hearing. Really? Yeah. Did I've been do, wanting to go. Did they do anything other than just unclog her shit or did they just, uncl- yeah, just clean, clean them out with that scope huh i know some places too they'll they'll go in which is like the more old school way they like one of those fucking water bags and they fucking pump it like water into your ear and knock out the wax that way but that's the idea of water going in my ear and fucking swirling some shit around i hate that i hate getting water in my ears when i go swimming (laughs) can't stand it um 
Yeah, how fun. Um, so after that, that plan fizzles, fizzles away. Um, then he gets like a conjugal visit with his wife, basically, uh, at a hotel. She just like flies up for the day so they can fucking bang one out. Um, and she can act kind of like melancholy and mopey in the window. Um, Tom Noonan, the guy who plays the tooth fairy in this. Do you recognize him from anything else? Nope. Are you a last action hero guy? Never seen it. Never seen it. Wow. Tom Noonan's in that. He plays this really creepy fucking axe murderer. Um, what else is, is he in? The- I, I did love when he had the pantyhose half on the top of his yeah. head. <laughs> what the fuck is Which, that? I mean, doesn't do anything to really hide your appearance, especially when you're already planning on burning this guy alive. I don't yeah. know if it was just to like contain his hair to give them to give him some credit. Yeah, I don't know what the reasoning or maybe just to look scary because he looks yeah. pretty fucking creepy like that. I mean, he it, I think he has like a subtle hair lip. Yeah, he's got something going on there. So that coupled with that adds like a weird, like a re- a really uh, kind of imposing figure but so he was in robocop 2 he played kane um trying to see what else if there's anything you would because he's been in a ton of shit he played frankenstein and something yeah i gave a i gave a quick look at his imdb and didn't recognize anything oh yeah monster squad he played frankenstein's monster that's right oh cool never seen it That'd be a good one for a Halloween episode if we're still kicking uh, in the future. Monster Squad's classic. It's like it's Goonies on Halloween. It's it's dope. It's the one uh, Joe Mace used to quote around that time. Like, man, I fucking love Monster Squad. And there's this fat kid named uh, what the fuck is his name? Can't remember his name, but he's like, uh, my name is Horace. Wolfman's got nards. Anyway, he's like the chunk, basically, from Goonies of that film. Um, damn. I guess he was in Heat also in a smaller role. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a fucking pretty imposing figure just because of his height. He's like fucking 6'8 or something. Super tall dude. Uh, he's also in uh, a later role for him. He's in House of the Devil, which I love a lot which was directed by Ty West, the guy who did the innkeepers. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the film you before that. that. Yeah. The film before that he did house of the devil, Tom Noonan's in that he plays kind of a creepy figure, but um, what do you think of him as, as our villain? Yeah. Our, our killer. Pretty solid. Yeah. Thought he did a good job. Very creepy. I do think Buffalo bill is a little creepier. You think? Yeah. Yeah, I give the edge to Noonan because I guess just compared to James Gum, he uh, Buffalo Bill feels a little like slightly more cartoony, I guess, or just more maybe just more flamboyant um, type of killer. Whereas Noonan, I feel like it's more he's more uh, he's quiet. Just seem, he just seemed creepier, I guess, on that level. But um, 
it is pretty interesting to see like I feel like you get a good picture into you know how I, he's kept himself isolated and I'm I'm sure he's had like some kind of like super fucked up childhood but like the way he he operates like in his job and like his personal life and these things that he's juggling like you can tell like he he's definitely like an outsider like he's a and it's probably like a a feedback loop because he looks at himself in the mirror he doesn't th- he thinks there's something wrong with him too or he cuz he he's trying to ascend to this He's enamored with the dragon. He's trying to like transcend. He thinks people are beneath him. You know, like he calls, he calls them like ants when he's talking to Lowndes. Um, So he's got some, he's got some shit going on, which is emphasized later too. I like how all of a sudden you're thrown into this weird kind of romance film for like 15 minutes. Yeah. I could have, I could have done without some of that. Yeah. I I like the payoff when it shows like he's like so stunted emotionally. He's like a teenager. Like when he, what he thinks he's seen when he sees the coworker go and walk um, Joan Allen up to the door, like how it's like romanticized. The lighting's different. It looks like he thinks that she's cheating on him and they're making out. And like, like she was just using him and he's really in love with this dude, Barry, who they work with or whatever. And then, then it kind of cuts to like reality and it's like, okay, just want to make sure you got home safe. She's like, all right, bye. Like, like she doesn't like this guy. She thinks he's a creep because, uh, you know, he, they painted it like this guy is like, thinks he can muscle in on her because she's blind. Like, that that's just the impression I got, like a just a slime ball. Um but the way Noonan sees it is very like like he's he's never had this happen to him. He like he just probably fucked for the first time. Like he's he's got like that puppy love kinda and but he's a he's a serial killer. He's juggling all these things and then then he just goes kills that guy <laughs> like right behind the bushes, like yeah. I I liked all that, like showing like how like emotionally uh, incapable he was of dealing with that. And it kind of throws a wrench into all of his his plans, you know, that he's doing, like that he's he's working on ascending. And he's also scoping out this third family to tie in with his moon cycle shit. So um, I don't know. I just. I can't articulate it any further than that. I just thought it was interesting, but <clears throat> I definitely think that the the third or the final act kind of feels slapped together, sort of uh, like the conclusion. I mean, it's kind of action. It's you got some action, um, but I've, I it it did feel I couldn't help but feel a little bit anticlimactic. What do you think about yeah, the Yeah, I I liked the So like the first 50% I really liked the 50 to 75% I was like, "Ah, you're you're losing me a little bit." But then I liked the ending quite a bit. I I kind of liked how they put it all together. I did, yeah, I glossed that over like the, figuring out where he worked and how he was, you know. Yeah. I liked yeah, all like that for sure. You know, looking at the video and you can see like why did he bring a bolt cutter cuz he thought they had a padlock and blah blah blah. Like all that was pretty cool. Uh yeah. The blind girl thing, I will say it it just didn't really 
grab me that much. I did think it was funny that in this one and in Silence of the Lambs, there's like a standoff at the end with somebody who can't see. You know, yeah, like because Jodie Foster's walking around in the dark, and what's his name mm-hmm. has the uh, night vision goggles and similar thing here. Like, hmm, that's very similar, but yeah, I wonder if they if they pulled from that for when they were making uh, Silence of the Lambs, like a mirror image of that kind of. Yeah, I don't know because I I imagine the books had already been written, but. Yeah, I think all of them had been. Yeah, I like Maybe. the ending. The the you know fucking barreling through the window with the guy, the shootout. Yeah, it's like what? it's like just shoot him through the fucking window, idiot. Yeah, why'd you have to do that? You just gave up your. <clears throat> you just gave up the element of surprise. Yeah, I did read a, an interesting piece of trivia that I had to reread like three times just because the way it's written, it was confusing. Mm-hmm. So it says, you're an idiot. W- <clears throat> All right. Just wait. Maybe <laughs> you might be right. Dude. The older I get, man, sometimes I'll sit there and I'll fucking have to read a paragraph or a page. I'll go back and be just be like, what? Like to, uh, to try to lock in to like a setting or what somebody's, I fucking can't stand that. Yeah, I get that too where I start thinking about other stuff and I'm not even processing what I'm reading. I'm just thinking about this other thing. But this yeah. uh this piece of trivia says uh this movie was included among the American Film Institute's 2001 list of 400 movies nominated for the top 100 heart-pounding American movies. Whoa. I was like, wait, I feel two- like I need it. 2001, 400 movies. All right, so included among the AFI's Institute 2001 list. Okay, so the list is 400 movies nominated for the top 100 most heart-pounding American movies. But when you read it just on its own, it's like, what the fuck? Included among the American Film Institute's 2001 list of 400 movies nominated for the top 100 heart-pounding American movies. Yeah. All right. Glad. Glad. Whoop. <laughs> that is a weird, like, way of breaking those down. Like itemizing how many were nominated. I feel like you would leave that part out and you just be like, in two thousand one, there was a. This is the list of films yeah. that were nominated. <laughs> uh for the top 100 spots. I don't know. Weird. I did see another um, interesting little piece of trivia that uh, during, yeah, the, please. during the filming of this movie, Anthony Hopkins was playing King Lear at the National Theater, which I guess is in England. And then Drawings. Dur- and then during the filming of Silence of the Lambs, Brian Cox was playing King Lear at the same National Theater. Oh shit! How, how fun! How fun is that? Another mirror image thing. I think it's about the duality of man, sir. Um, <clears throat> I 
I, I spied one that I really liked that's probably, I would imagine, might be on your list too. So, when the production could not get permission to film on board a commercial airplane, writer and director Michael Mann booked his actors, actresses, and crew on a twilight flight from Chicago to Florida, where the production was relocating anyway. A stripped-down camera, lighting, and sound equipment were taken on board as carry-on luggage, and pilots and flight attendants were appeased with gifts of movie crew jackets. That's pretty fucking punk rock to go in gorilla style. I'm like, we're going to film anyway on this plane. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, yeah, pretty cool. I mean, probably easier to get away with pre 9 11. Yeah. That's kind of like what Chris was touching on when he came on a couple episodes ago talking about like there was a, uh, a window of time where you could be. Not fully anonymous, but it was way easier, you know. Now, now with the way things are, yeah, you fucking never on a com- It wasn't a private plane or a commercial airplane. Can you imagine <laughs> someone trying to film like that? Like everyone, all their iPhones would be out and shit. Like, yeah, it's yeah, kind of cool. You bring all these like hard shell cases that could easily be holding a gun or. Oh yeah. <laughs> Bomb, 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 bomb. <laughs> but yeah, if I were a pilot or a flight attendant back then too, but fuck, movie crew jacket, fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ain't saying shit, buddy. Um, <laughs> let's see. There's there's a couple tidbits here I thought were pretty cool. Um, oh. I thought this was pretty out of place with the fucking tiger part and like feeling the which when he brings Joan Allen into that place to like feel the tiger and hear its heartbeat and shit. Um, but that scene uh, when she touches the sedated tiger, it's actually a real sedated tiger, and the veterinarian uh, in the film is played by a real vet, the actual vet who sedated the creature. Well, that's pretty fucking rad. Like all that shit's real like that shit probably wouldn't fly today no It'd probably be a not cg fucking tiger well because the tiger was probably perfectly healthy but they're like we're just gonna fucking trank him up oh yeah now you have like the fucking we're gonna have this blind chick pet him backwards which yeah <laughs> against the grain along his spine he's like definitely put, won't... put your hand right by his mouth i was kind of hoping yeah. <laughs> kind of hoping for uh you know <laughs> some dismemberment uh <laughs> yeah because what was the point of that scene nothing yeah i don't know maybe maybe he was you could maybe speculate he was trying to like awaken a sense in her or like get her in touch with like i don't know or maybe I don't con- know. convince her that he's like a real human yeah, I don't know. Who the fuck's this guy? Frankie Faison. Oh, right. That's the guy who plays the orderly in... Um, uh, he plays Barney in Silence of the Lambs. Frankie Faison. He is the only actor to appear in all four of Thomas Harris' Hannibal adaptations. Um... 
Oh yeah, John Lithgow and Brian Dennehy were two actors they also considered for the role of Dr. Hannibal Lecter. I I wouldn't buy Brian Dennehy at all, but I could definitely see Lithgow. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, Brian Cox is he's the guy for sure. Um I do have a fun Amazon review here if you want. Oh yeah. Uh, Another fun one-star Amazon review from a guy named Dale, who says, Don't assume just because you live in a certain region that a DVD that you order and have shipped to you will play in your region. This is a confirmed United States purchase, by the way. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Well, so, he's still an idiot, but... It's more forgivable because I feel like most people aren't aware of the region thing. So there's certain DVDs and Blu-rays that are, they're called region locked. So they'll only play on a, so most DVD player, I can't remember what it is. I think, so it's like North America is like region A or region C. Dude, movie nerds are like, right now. Uh, and then there's region B, which is like Europe. And and then there's another region for like APAC, like Asia Pacific. And then Australia might be different too. I'm not sure. Okay. But you have to have, so a DVD player, you go into Best Buy or wherever and buy off the shelf. It's like American region, whatever it is. Anything you buy here will play on it. When you start buying shit online, like you'll see a lot of stuff that's like region B locked. So you have to get either a region B DVD player that will play that and correspond, or they have now like unlocked like uh, region free DVD players and Blu-ray players where they'll play any region, but they're usually way more expensive. They're like, cause now you can, you can walk down the street to fucking Walmart and buy a DVD player or Blu-ray for like 50 bucks or 80 bucks. Yeah. The region free ones, I think they all start around like two or 300 and up. So that's a little bit more forgivable, but it's still like, it's like read, read what you're fucking buying guy and don't rate the movie a one. It's like, yeah, it has so, nothing to do so with I the guess, fucking quality of the film. So this gentleman, Dale was from the U S. So are you, are you inferring that he bought it from a third party? Yeah. Okay. You can well, buy shit in the U S he could, he, he, you can buy anything you want on Amazon. You, you know, and it's fulfilled, but the region it originated from, or that the player that it's meant yeah. for, All right, Dale. is different. Yeah, like, dude, I still I bought the Frighteners special edition that was put out by this company called Turbine that's in Germany, and hell, all the shit's German. It has English, but it's like it's German first. Like, I would have to go like playing it right off the bat. I'd have to change it to English audio, mm. and English subtitles. Okay. But I haven't been able to watch it yet because it's fucking. I have. I'm still dragging my hands on buying a region free player but um yeah there's a lot of cool shit people are into it for like there's like in different regions there's different art different jackets on the dvds and blu-rays there's different features there's different cuts all that kind of stuff so well then yeah. i guess i'm the asshole yeah maybe 50 50 <laughs> but still hard disagree because it's like you don't rate them you don't rate the film it's like file a fucking grievance in a proper channel with Amazon, you asshole. The penny was a gift, Todd. Um, 
Oh, shit. So they almost got Timothy Dalton. Uh, they were going to give that role to uh, Will Graham to Timothy Dalton, but he withdrew last minute so he could be available for um, his first James Bond film, The Living Daylights, in 1987. Which I'm glad that happened because honestly, I can't really see. I mean, I I take William Peterson over uh, Ed Norton's Will Graham all day long. Um, although I really I do like the guy in the Hannibal series that plays Will Graham. I think his name's Hugh Dancy. He's a British dude, but he he uses an American accent in Hannibal. Um, he he's pretty awesome. He's pretty tough to beat too as Will Graham, but uh, I think that that's just because the luxury of it's a show, so you get some more time to spend with him and his character, and you can you you grow to you root for him because he's he's the protagonist and the the good guy, quote unquote, um, with shades of gray. But um, yeah, there's actually a ton of fucking uh, trivia on this. One other that I'll last one I'll mention is the cinematographer uh, who was just got a rad fucking name, Dante Spinotti. Um, this is the first time he and Michael Mann worked together. And then they went on to work uh, together on last Mohicans, heat insider and public enemies. So yeah, those two are pretty simpatico, pretty badass cinematographer. I like to like the color choices in this, like, a lot of it's at night, but like the blues and reds and greens and stuff. Like I thought it, 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 it was a, it was fun to look at for sure. Yeah. So we end up Tom, Tom Noonan gets blown away. Um, it's fun. Like the detecting stuff is what brings me back to this. Like, like when they're, when he's going through the crime scenes or when they're trying to break down the note on the toilet paper. And then when they, they break down like the film and the, and like figuring out where he works and then pinpoint him that way. All that's real satisfying to me. Is there anything you wanted to talk about, about this film before we wrap it up that we didn't go over? No, you pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Pour one out for Farina. I liked him a lot as as this Jack Crawford. I'm not really a big fan of Scott Glenn's Jack Crawford. He comes across a little bit more kind of kind of slimy, a little bit maybe subtly. So, because um, I think they're in the book and they touch on it in the film that he's got like a thing for Clarice. There's like a undertone of there's like some, there's a little bit of sexual uh static going on is that the between guy, them. Is that the guy at the end of Sounds of the Lambs? He's like, I'm meeting an, or I'm having an old friend for lunch. No. No, that's Dr. Chilton. Okay. Who is a slime ball. Who is played in the show by a dude named Raul Garza, who is fucking awesome. He is the best. He he does he's so good at, at Dr. Chilton in that series. I love him. Um no, it's Scott Glenn in Silence of the Lambs. He's the dude with the glasses that's like Clarice's handler at the oh, FBI. Yeah. yeah at yeah. Quantico. Yep. And like leading her through and everything. He was in Backdraft. Played Axe, I think. 
You never seen Backdraft? No, I have, but oh, it's okay. been forever. Yeah. Well, worth a flashback for sure. Yeah, he he's real good in that. I think he's a good actor. I just don't really like him as Crawford. Um, <clears throat> cool. All right. Uh, I don't have any devotionals or colloquialisms. Do you have any slang that you've heard of late that nope. really gets your goat? I have not. Other than Bucci Cat, <laughs> which we introduced last week. <laughs> oh, man. Bucci Cat. The most beautiful man, Shut it! If you did. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I think that's gonna do it for Manhunter. Uh, did you like the film? Where were you? Where are we putting this on the scale? Uh, it's a yay or nay, pass or fail. That's a yay. All right. Sweet. We came back strong. So that puts us back up to we were we dipped down to an eighty-seven. That gave us a tenth of a percent, so we're at eighty-seven point one. Great, grand, wonderful. Uh, next week, uh, I know I promised it today, but it's probably gonna have to wait till tomorrow. Um, I think we're gonna cover an unsolved or a true crime case, um, centered in or specific to California. Because of late, I I recently be, recently became aware of like a shit ton that have just been overshadowed in like the last forty or fifty years by all of the the big hitters like uh, Zodiac and the, the Night Stalker, East Area Rapist. Um, yeah, so I think I think there's there's some stuff worthy of uh, going over and revisiting have you ever heard about the yuba city five uh yeah i have that shit's wild i just became aware of that it a is. couple of years ago it, and it's very I've, weird yeah that's what i'd like to do but i feel like it in recent years it's been it's been discovered you know and and covered a lot there's a dude who just did one like six months ago like a a really detailed like youtube video that's like three and a half hours long on it that's really exhaustive um but yeah i didn't that's like that was right in our backyard you know and like like some of the the places where they went and they were last seen it's it's kind of wild coming from like a smaller population region for something that outlandish but yeah if you're curious if that's tingling anyone's uh true crime unsolved senses check out the yuba city five just google it there's a dude named Wendigoon who just did like a three hour video a few months ago on it. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be something along those lines for next week. Um, change it up, mix it up a little bit. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can do so at wax at waxing the Um, hate mail. Haven't got one of those in a while. um, Instagram is at waxing the porpoise and Twitter X is at waxing the porp. Drop us a line. Uh, and if, if you feel so inclined, leave us a rating or a review on Apple podcasts is the most, uh, or Apple music is the, is the most beneficial or wherever you, you listen to us at. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Check out Manhunter. It's a banger. Top three, man. 
we say. Alrighty. Where I come from, you don't blow no harp. You don't get no pussy. We'll see you when we see you, and we'll see you later.